Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. It's me, your host, Chelsea Fagan, founder and CEO of The Financial Diet and person who loves to talk about money. And when it comes to talking about money, as we've addressed on this channel before, it's hard for many people, especially many women who do make up the majority of the TFD audience, to think about spending and discretionary spending, especially without thinking about how we dress ourselves. It can often be sort of written off as a vain or superficial or I guess many other words that basically often boil down to just things women like. But dressing is not just a question of aesthetics. It's not just a question of looking a certain way for the pure sartorial pleasure of looking that way, although it can be. And we interviewed a YouTuber, Mina Lay, recently, and I'll link you to our interview with her in the description, who is someone who uses style not just as a means of getting around, but also as a means of personal and creative expression, who is experimental with her style, who ultimately uses style as a way to express herself similar to any other form of artistic expression. But more than that, for most people, and again, the pressure is even higher on women, how we dress ourselves and present ourselves in the world goes far beyond just the sartorial or the creative or the artistic. It's about how we're perceived, how seriously we're taken, the kinds of jobs that we may be able to get, the spaces in which we can move around, the connections we form, the way people judge us. And yes, to an extent, some of this is unfair, and all of this is often extremely classist. But for many people, for example, who might come from a lower income background or be struggling financially, being able to present themselves aesthetically in a certain way can often be a means to perhaps bettering their situation. They are perceived a certain way when they go into a job interview, for example, or even just walking down the street. The way we dress defines so much about the experience that we'll have. And again, for many people, it's also just really fun. However, for other people, like another recent interviewee of mine, Hannah Louise Poston, shopping and clothing and dressing ourselves, styling ourselves can become a compulsion. It can be something that we use that real world necessity I talked about to justify a whole lot of ultimately very unnecessary spending. People become addicted to shopping. And for many women, again, for whom the pressure to look and present a certain way is so strong, it can become a vicious cycle where you feel that in order to be the sort of person you want to be perceived as, you have to spend money in order to get there. My guest today is someone who has been in that cycle and who has broken herself out of it to an extent that she refers to as minimalish. She's a bit of a queen of the capsule wardrobe and didn't just totally overhaul her style, she also overhauled the way that she spends and thinks about money and created a pretty fabulous YouTube channel in the process. There's a lot of practical information there about building a capsule wardrobe, about dressing yourself, about finding a style that's affordable and versatile, but there's also a lot about the experience of changing the way that we shop for these things and changing the narrative in our minds that tells us that new and more are almost all always better. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome my guest today, YouTuber Christina Mejas. Welcome, Christina. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm fangirling a little bit oh. right now too, just by the way. My goodness. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, so obviously I teed that up a bit in the intro, but I would really love to hear obviously a bit about what you do, but also the sort of process that led you to becoming minimalish, as you call it. Yeah, um, so I um, was, I'm a pharmacist full-time still by trade, and to get into that profession, um, I 
accrued a ton of student loan debt, over $120,000. Um, and throughout that time, I just remember, because I mean, pharmacy is a fairly high earning career. It's like you can live comfortably working in that. Um, and the whole time through school, people would tell me, oh, don't worry about the debt. You'll just like pay it off easy. No big deal. So I kind of had that narrative in my mind all throughout school and until I graduated. Um, and all throughout that, I was still a huge fan of like fashion, makeup, shopping. Um, and essentially kept just essentially spent my, you know, the, all of my disposable income on shopping um, to a point where I was basically self-sabotaging my financial future because I was carrying this huge student loan debt, this huge burden of debt, but not, you know, thinking about my finances, thinking about what that would mean, um, all the while still, all the while shopping and just like kind of just living that life, trying to live that fabulous, like, okay, I'm a high earner, I'm gonna look good, I'm gonna get high-end brands and look cool. Um, so that's kind of where I put my focus, thinking that like, oh, I'll just pay off this debt someday and I can kind of do it all. Do you feel that being so heavily in debt in some ways sort of enabled the um, sort of compulsive spending in the sense of like, well, I'm already so screwed financially? Oh yeah, I would say that all the time. I would make a joke out of my debt and be like, you know, people would talk about being in debt and be like, oh, well, I'm at $120,000. Like it's almost, it was almost like a flex, like a sad flex um, sometimes. And it, yeah, it would definitely be like, oh, what's another uh, $50 or $100 on this debt? Like it's a drop in the bucket at this point, so I might as well go for it. So definitely I would use that as an excuse for sure. Now, during this time, were you paying your debt? Were you just paying the minimums? Like, what was your relationship to getting out of that debt? Um, I was pretty much paying, like, just barely over the minimums. And my minimum was around $1,100, $1,200 a month. Um, I also moved from, like, a small town where I'm from to Toronto, which is one of the bigger cities, higher costs of living. Um, and then on top of that, I was still just shopping and sort of spending all of my time doing that. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you went through this kind of transformation with, you know, your wardrobe, especially and your belongings, really kind of getting rid of a lot of it, rethinking a lot of it. Can you talk about, you know, kind of the intersection between going through this with your material things and with your wardrobe and how that related to your finances and how you were handling your finances? Um, so I kind of I had like a sort of rock bottom moment um so towards like the when i was i would say like deepest in my compulsive shopping habit like i would be ordering things constantly i would like shop when i was happy shop when i was sad like any of my free time would be spent shopping and um that's actually when i discovered hannah louise posted by the way so she sort of Queen. inspired a lot of this so we all sort of overlap which is really really cool um but I bought like a pair of luxury boots that cost more than my rent. And I knew that I couldn't afford them. I would be constantly like scolding myself about money. And I would tell myself like, okay, you know, this month you're gonna be better. You're gonna pay this much more than the minimum on your loan. You gotta get out of this. Like you're just stuck in this cycle. Um, so I bought those luxury boots knowing I couldn't afford them, but I kept them anyway. Um, but that was also the moment where I was like, okay, you need to change 
everything about what you're doing. Um, you're, you know, I, you're going to stay really stuck. You're not going to, I had a lot of like visions for what I wanted to do in my life, like traveling, um, you know, like things that, that everybody sort of envisions for themselves, traveling or owning a condo or, you know, things like that, that all cost money, um, that, that I knew I wouldn't be able to achieve um, in the cycle that I was in. So um, I just knew that within my stuff and constantly acquiring new things and like chasing this image, chasing um, luxury brands and all that stuff while still being essentially like living paycheck to paycheck, um, getting further and further into debt. Um, I had, I knew I just had to, I had to make that change. And so within that, um, I started decluttering and, um, within starting to get rid of my stuff and like really paying attention to what I owned and spending some time with it uh, that not only did it make me understand like how much I had spent, but, um, it can all, it also over time helped me sort of curb that compulsion to shop all the time because I had started to familiarize myself with what I already owned. Can you just break down the like practical details of what you got rid of, what you kept, the rules that you placed on yourself uh, when you made this big change? So I would say I started with my closet um, because that was definitely the place that was exploding the most. Um, I was buying like makeup and skincare too, but my clothes and my closet was definitely um, the place that had sort of blown up. Uh, so I started there and I, I was, um, I started with like the, you know, the whole KonMari mm-hmm. kind of method um, where you just like pull everything out, you go through each thing one by one, does it spark joy? Are you excited about it? Um, so I started there and did multiple declutters over, um, I would say over years. <laughs> um, so getting rid of like, uh, sorry, you wanted to know the rules around that too? The rules and then sort of like giving us a sense of what you kept, what you got rid of, you know, all of that stuff. Okay. Um, so in terms of things I kept, I, over time, like I, I would keep things that I knew I would wear a lot. Like this is something that I wear every single week. Um, and through those declutters, you can start to see like, oh, maybe I wear a lot of blazers. I wear a lot of jeans, a lot of t-shirts. So maybe I don't need to keep these five or six silk slip dresses that I've literally never worn or forgotten about. Um, so I, I started by keeping things that either I wore all the time um, or things that I just wasn't really ready to let go of, um, you know, whether it be like occasion pieces or pieces that I paid a lot of money for, that kind of thing. Um, that was an initial barrier. And what I got rid of was just like things that I opened up my closet and I was just like, why do I even have this? I forgot I had this. Um, I've never worn this in like over a year. So I gave myself a timeline of um, have I worn this in the last six months and do I plan on wearing it in the next So that helped me sort of create a hard line of, um, you know, if I want to keep it, I have an opportunity. I'm giving myself this opportunity of six months, which I think is generous um, to to see if I actually use it. And if I didn't, then I would end up getting, I would end up selling it or decluttering it in some way. Um, Roughly percentage wise, how much of your wardrobe was left after that? Um, I did about three 
three to five declutters. After the first one, I would say I probably got rid of around 30%. At this point now, I have gotten rid of around 60% of my initial wardrobe and when you I started. And do you still buy things every now and then? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, the thing about like, I went from like compulsive shopper to I would say kind of extreme minimalist in the sense that I was really trying to get this like Pinterest 30 piece wardrobe and you know, to, uh, to be like a valid internet minimalist kind of thing to like adhere to that. And, um, but the thing about like, the thing I sort of realized about shopping is that it's not like, like you can, if you have a compulsive relationship with it, um, it's important to sort of understand that, understand your behaviors, your triggers, but like you still will need to shop at some point, right. whether it be like at the grocery store or, um, like it's hard to disconnect the relationship between spending money in a healthy way and, or sorry, it's hard to like, um, basically you can't give up shopping. So for me, a lot of my channel is about like having a healthier relationship with that. And so for me, I still love clothes. I still love fashion. Um, so I've allowed myself to like to allow myself to evolve in my style and the things that I want to buy, but just doing it in a lot healthier, mindful, and I'm like less compulsive kind of way. Do you have specific rules that you have around how you buy things to kind of avoid getting into the same cycle? Yeah. Um, so my my favorite thing is to uh, put it on a wish list. So um, because I mean, you know, TikTok, Instagram, influencers, I still get influenced and triggered by that kind of stuff you know sure. um i love the way something looks and it's kind of my style so um and in the past the way i would shop would be kind of like that ariana grande song i see it i want it i got it just bought it type of thing um and now i try to create some separation between that wanting and the buying so my my first rule is to put it on a wish list and um wait at least 24 hours to sleep on it, create that separation. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in buying like higher quality, long lasting pieces that will ideally survive any declutter that I choose to do later on. Um, so sometimes that costs a little bit more money. So in that sense, I want to be able, sometimes I'll wait um, even a month or more because my main, main rule is how am I paying for this thing? Can I pay for it? in cash right now or can I pay off my credit card bill at the end of the month because I just have a hard barrier of I'm not going into debt for fashion anymore. Can you talk a little bit about why you think that shopping for aspirational if not outright designer clothes was such a thing for you especially from more of like an emotional mental psychological place? Yeah, um, I thought that it would, I thought that I could buy my way into wealth and an image of success. Um, I thought that buying those things meant success and that by having those things, I would move into even more success. Um, but really, if anything, it was holding me back from the future that I really wanted because all of my money was going there instead of into working on making a plan and reaching the other goals and other visions that I had for myself. Can you talk a little bit about your, I'd love to hear a little bit about like your background financially in terms of like, you know, what was your experience with 
not just money, but things, material things growing up that maybe led you to have that view of, you know, buying aspirational stuff as what makes you successful? Yeah. Oh man, the childhood trauma. <laughs> let's talk about let's, it. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that um, looking, thinking back on it, there's definitely like a lot of toxic relationships around that. Like I remember um, I had a, like a friend group in elementary school that were very, um, they were like, you know, more well-off kind of rich kids than we were. Um, so, you know, at the time back in like the 90s, 2000s, the Gap was something that was like really cool and aspirational. Nike was too, I don't know. Um, but I never had that stuff. I would like wear hand-me-downs or like my mom would like patch my jeans for me and I would get like made fun of for that. I'd be like, mm. why don't you get that fuzzy Gap sweater that everybody has kind of thing. So I think it goes like that far back um, in the sense of it's a, I think it's like kind of a, an acceptance thing, you know, like you want to hang with the crowd and and um, match up to the level of your peers. Yeah, I definitely relate to that heavily. I think, as I was talking about in the intro, I think where it becomes really tough is that it is true that to a certain extent, presentation and personal grooming are going to be factors in how you get perceived, the opportunities you have, you know, the way that you are able to move through the world. And I think that especially, you know, if you're trying to um, ascend in class status, kind of change your opportunities, like there is a point to which there's truth to that and which it is helpful to present yourself a certain way. But I think often, and, and again, this was definitely my case when I was, you know, in a, in a bad place with money and spending, like, it's very difficult to identify where there are extremely diminishing returns, you know, like looking like you are put together, like you are wearing things that fit, like you are wearing things that are, you know, clean and and well kept and all of that stuff. That'll get you far, but then past that, you know, getting into the designer, having, you know, 10 of everything, having all the latest trends, like that's where it starts to be like there's no real practical purpose for it. No, but yeah, I, I fully, I, I fully agree. And with that too, is like, you know, yeah, you start with maybe some buying something from Banana Republic was a big deal at one point, but now I have that and it's time to ascend to, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue or Gucci. And like you, you keep like raising the bar and raising that. It's always like a moving target um, of more and more. Did you have specific brands or stores that were really like big triggers for you? Oh, I was a full tilt like Aritzia girly. <laughs> Interesting, Aritzia. I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's cause like, like where I'm from and uh, that that was like a, like Aritzia is like a, it's like a hot shot. Like, you know, all like the, the top Toronto girlies wear like head to toe Aritzia kind of thing. Um, so when I first moved to Toronto too, that was something that I think also contributed to a lot of my shopping at the beginning because it was, I had access to all these stores that, um, you know, were not in our local mall and things like that. So um, it was like very exploratory and like very new at the time too. Um, and then I got to this point where it's like, everything I wear top to bottom has to be Aritzia. It has to be brand new. Um, and yeah, that's, 
I was a, I was a dedicated shopper there for sure. <laughs> but so that store specifically kind of gave you the feeling of like, I'm one of these girls. Like I'm one of oh, these yeah. girls that I aspire to. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, because they were like, they were cool. They were effortless. They were on trend. Um, but it also kind of worked in corporate too. Like you could be like a trendy, effortless corporate gal for sure. That's interesting. So I wonder this aspirational it was definitely part of like this aspirational um, thing that I kept chasing. I'm trying to think of like what the equivalent to that would be in New York City. But to be fair, like New York City is such a fashion mecca that I feel like there's just 18 million versions of that. But I will say like one of them, especially a little less so now, but like there was like a four year period where like Reformation had a chokehold on that specific type of girl. Um, yeah. And it doesn't help that like you have to be quite slim to wear most of their clothes. So obviously that I'm sure was a factor. But there is, I think you mentioned the word effortless. And I think that is something that for women is especially, you know, a certain type of woman is such a massive social and cultural pressure is to seem seem like you're not trying through the act of trying extremely hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, you know, obviously it's one of the many catch-22s that women kind of have to live with. But I also think as it pertains to you know, aspirational consumerism, I think one of the things that, you know, is such a a marker of wealth and status that is, I think, underrated, but most people feel it when you think about it, is like this feeling of like, if you are, if you have a certain social class level of wealth, you don't have to worry about things. You are able to move through the world with like a very, a certain ease that it can feel like if you're wearing the right clothes, it's almost like you're wearing a disguise that you're that sort of person. For sure, yeah. Um, and I think with that too, I would use like, just kind of going back to that to tie it all in together. Like for example, um, a few years ago, I was like so fixated on, you know, the Gucci slide. Everybody was wearing the Gucci slide in like 2017. That the one with was... the fur on it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those always gross me out. Like in the I summer, know. I'll see people wearing them. <laughs> but either way, that was like the hot, that and like the belts, you know, they the had Gigi like, they, they, that was like their peak. Um, but I remember I'm like, if I got those and somebody saw me walking down the street, I'm like, I had, I had a thought to myself, like, oh, they would look at my shoes and they would know that I was successful. Or, like, they would think to myself, oh, that girl has her shit together. She has a good job because she's got these, like, shoes on her feet. So it's that's where my, like, fixation was a lot of the time. That's how I would um, translate success so that a stranger would look at my shoes, my feet, not even my face, not even get to know me, not know me as a person, um, and just make a judgment that way that I was successful. Interestingly, I feel like there's like a whole little like subgenre of like designer, like really iconic designer products and accessories that I almost feel the opposite when I see someone wear them because it's like so many people will be like head to toe Zara but have the Gucci belt or like often they're counterfeit um, when they're those really iconic ones or like the the Louis Vuitton bag or like, you know, those slides you're talking about. Like I feel like there's like there's now a weird sort of like microcosm of designer goods that are so heavily aspired to that they almost kind of wrap back around and are basic a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
that's it's definitely like it's it's complicated <laughs> it's funny anecdote about that this is like i like last summer through like extended you know family whatever uh in-laws like spent an evening with uh this woman who i just like was not a we just didn't vibe, I'll put it that way. But th- she was like one of those people who's like very, very, very wealthy and very like, it's important to her that she be dressed in head to toe designer, but that it never seem designer, that it be very like under the radar or whatever. And this was like, I hadn't like been talking to her. I didn't know anything about her. I mean, she looked quite put together, but I didn't really think more of it than that. And she was wearing these sandals that I recognized. I didn't know where I recognized them from, but I was like, oh, what what are those sandals? I saw them everywhere. I had just come from um, uh, Italy on vacation. And I was like, I saw those everywhere. And, you know, where we were in Italy and, and, you know, where, what are they? And she was like, oh, oh God. And I was like, what? And she was like, they're Hermes. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, (laughs) that tracks. And she was like, and she, she turned to this other woman and she was like, Oh, I I knew I I my husband gave these to me. I was like I don't even want them because I don't want everyone to know I'm walking around in the Hermes slides. But then I was like I'll wear them anyway. And now look what happened. And I was like, okay, first of all, like new level of mental illness as as it pertains to shopping unlocked. But also like, yeah. it is interesting to me how at different levels of wealth and status there can be such different relationships to how we adorn ourselves with these symbols of wealth. Yeah, and how it kind of goes like how Mark Zuckerberg wears the same gray t-shirt, but each t-shirt's like $400 each or something, like the inconspicuous wealth. Um, yeah, so it's like you peak, you peak, you want to get, like you want to get all these like brands and logos and then, F, yeah, you reach a certain level of wealth and then it's like, oh no, I need to hide that. But it's still expensive, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, kind of thing. Money is wasted on those tech oligarchs. Like how <laughs> how dreary to have that much money and spend it all on $500 identical t-shirts. <laughs> um, so you use, as I mentioned, you use the term minimalish to describe your kind of relationship to consumerism now and specifically, you know, things like your wardrobe personal style. Can you talk about what that actually means to you? Yeah, to me, um, because uh, again, I think... I definitely went from one extreme to another, like full on shopaholic, shopping addict um, to extreme minimalist, because I think when I just, so when I started, I started doing low buy um, inspired by Hannah, which would, um, you know, the whole point is to, you know, you allow yourself to, you allow yourself to um, indulge and, and buy some of those things that maybe were in your problem area. Um, but you don't, but for me, so for me within that, um, I found I was still really like obsessing over what I could and could not buy. Mm-hmm. And, um, it just like, you know, instead of actually buying it, I would still really, really obsess and think about it constantly. So it was consuming a lot of my time still. Um, and then when I started decluttering, I started getting into more minimalism content and everybody talked about, you know, how, happy they were with less and the whole, you know, the whole minimalism pitch. And I like, I got right into it and I was seeing results when I started decluttering. I was feeling lighter. I was feeling um, accomplished. And through those declutters, I was really starting to see even my personal style because everything that remained was sort of what I had to work with. And that's what I would be wearing every day. Um, But over time, I started to 
like I just kept diving more and more into minimalism, thinking that like, I'm not a minimalist unless I have 30 pieces of clothing or um, I started to rationalize my way out of any joy that I saw in things. Like I saw this, you know, like it's a, it, this is a lovely shirt. It's my style. I really like it, but I don't need that because, you know, now I'm enlightened enough as a minimalist that I just don't need these material things to augment my life in any way. Um, so now I find that, and I found I was like sort of really denying that part of my personality and what brings me joy and what I value. Um, so now with minimalist-ish, I think it's having that balance in the sense that, you know, I can say no to certain things because I understand, you know, I understand the value that it may or may not bring. Um, but if I do want to bring some things in, then I'm allowing myself to do that and have that balance. So it's not necessarily about like reaching a certain number in your wardrobe and having a certain number of possessions. It's about just really evaluating what brings me genuine joy or value now. You know, when a lot of people think about things like capsule wardrobes, minimalism, et cetera, I think they probably tend to imagine a sense of style that is very, um, you know, a lot of neutrals, a lot of, you know, very simple cuts, you know, things that are um, a lot of kind of more business casual type stuff that you can wear to work or, you know, out in the evening or what have you. Like, I think there's a very kind of specific mental image of that type of um, wardrobe and, and personal style. And I guess the question I have is kind of twofold. One, did you find that in moving towards this minimalist approach that you sort of had to pivot your style to what is most functional and utilitarian in order to maximize the value of each piece? And then kind of on top of that, like if you are someone who has kind of a very maximalist style, who loves a lot of colors and patterns and things don't that don't necessarily go together, you know, how can they also access this sort of way of of shopping and of creating a wardrobe yeah i think i'll start with the maximalist um uh, angle because i fully believe that a capsule wardrobe you know doesn't have to be this like you know whatever you see on pinterest the neutrals the black blazer i mean that is kind of what my style is because that's just what i gravitate towards um <clears throat> but I get a lot of comments like, where's the color? Why don't you like, I can't do this because I have color or because I love patterns and things like that. And I think um, really it's about, like, I think everybody has a capsule wardrobe already um, in the sense that you can, like, you don't even need to declutter it, but it's what you, what you love to wear, what you choose to wear every single day. So that's colors and patterns from head to toe that's part of your capsule wardrobe because that's what you wear and that's what you use. Um, so I, I, I posted a YouTube video kind of <clears throat> how to build a capsule wardrobe and it starts, I, I like to start with the closet you already have and that you can sift through it and um, you can organize it into like a hell yes, a hell no, and then a maybe pile. So if all of your hell yeses, which are I categorize them as things that you wear all the time or pieces that you're like, I just am never getting rid of this. I love this. Um, all of those things that remain in that pile to me is the core of your capsule wardrobe. And that doesn't matter what pieces they are, um, even how versatile they are to me, because if you want to keep it 
and that's part of you, then then own it. Now, in terms of the debt, so I assume you're still probably paying it. No, I'm debt free. You're now debt free? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. When did you become debt free? Um last summer, like July 2021. Oh my goodness, I didn't see that. Well, congratulations, yeah, first you. of all. Um, well, my question was going to be, um, you know, how doing this has changed your relationship to debt payoff, and it sounds like it already has in a big way. So can you kind of walk us through that process? Yeah, um, so when I first started all of this, the whole motivation was to get out of debt. Um, I know you won't vibe with this, but I discovered Dave Ramsey around the same time, which I think um, that sort of fed into the whole minimalism thing because I was like, uh, minim- I was, you know, trying to, I was really coupling minimalism with, with you know, Uncle Dave and uh, being try- trying to be like as frugal as I possibly yeah, could be and um, having, having him kind of like yell at me in my ear about like, you shouldn't have that shirt. You shouldn't buy that shirt. So I would really, I, I kind of use that. Um, I use that as a tool for a long time to, to really like get, get aggressive on my debt and pay it off. Um, it definitely left me with some PTSD at the end. <laughs> um, but you know, in many ways I'm glad I did it because I did get it out of the way. Um, and I'm privileged enough to have, I had a, a decent sized shovel to do that. Um, yeah. but a lot of what was, um, getting in the way of even paying off my debt in the time that I did was, was my consumption and my shopping habits too. Now you've described so. yourself as a former shopping addict a couple times. Um, yeah. how did you know to kind of classify it in that way? And did you seek any kind of medical or mental health, you know, treatments specifically for, you know, an addictive relationship? Yeah, I've never been diagnosed and I never sought a diagnosis, but um, I sort of, I think at the time I was looking up, like, how do you know if you're a shopping addict? And I would start with, like, how to stop shopping. And um, a lot of the behaviors that I was doing sort of really lined up. So it was definitely like an armchair diagnosis of myself, but, um, you know, things like shopping compulsively, thinking about shopping any free moment that you had, um, shopping as a way to cope when I, like I would shop when I was happy to keep that feeling going. And then I would shop when I was sad to relieve stress or to relieve frustration about my debt even. Um, and the other thing I noticed like hiding packages or lying about what I bought, I was starting to do that like with my partner. Mm. if people asked if something new, I, if, if people asked if something was new, I would lie about it and say it was old or like I bought it a few years ago. Like that's kind of where I was at, um, at the bottom. Uh, so that's when I sort of realized like, okay, you need to like, you need to turn this around. Um, and then throughout all of this journey, I have been, uh, I have a therapist and I've been working with her to kind of like dig deep, deeper into the compulsions into even the like, the spectrums of the extreme of like, I need to do everything I possibly can to get out of debt. I'm not allowed to buy anything, I'm, you know, that kind of thing to, um, to I want to buy everything and like, you know, go on that other side. So can you share some of the, you know, helpful tools or insights that your therapist has given you about those things? Um, I think the main thing is um, self-compassion 
Mm. I was very um, punishing with myself, I'd say, on either side of it. Um, so having compassion for yourself and realizing that, you know, like, yeah, you are going through a hard time or maybe you are um, trying to self-medicate or distract yourself from something um, like just sort of giving yourself the space and time to dig deeper into the why behind that behavior. Um, that's really helped a lot. And I sort of do that through just, you know, mindfulness and um, journaling, things like that. Well, we have some questions uh, from our audience for you before we get into our little rapid fire. Um, but okay, so this has been a very popular question, some form of, do you have suggested clothing items for a capsule wardrobe that can be functional for, for both work and not work? Specific items. Specific items. Um, I would say a pair of... So, okay, one, one thing I want to preface this with is like, I think you definitely don't like what's essential to me may not be essential to you. Um, and it's also about like what your everyday life looks like. So I find these, I find answering these questions a little bit tough because it's so nuanced to the person, but also I find a lot of people just want a list. Like they want an infographic of like, tell me what to buy and I'm going to go out and do it. So, um, if you are sort of looking for that like effortless a capsule wardrobe neutral aesthetic, um, I really like a pair of wide leg high-waisted black trousers or just like in a neutral color that you love um, because it can mix and match. It dresses up, dresses down, looks really cool with like loafers and heels or with sneakers. Um, and then for me, I love a um, just like a plain white t-shirt in whatever cut you think is most flattering um, because I find t-shirts also dress up and dress down. And then I love a blazer because again, that's something that can be really cool and casual and I'm going to say effortless again, but also very, you know, work appropriate if you work in that kind of corporate environment. Very good advice. Um, anything like more like accessories? Oh, I love, um, I love jewelry. Um, gold, silver, whatever works with your skin tone. Uh, I love a pair of gold hoops. I love like a chunky or minimal stack. Um, I think accessories for sure, like really can elevate a look that you can, and you can wear it every day too, which I think is like super easy because I don't want to take jewelry on and off and you know, that kind of thing. Red lipstick too is good. We're not wearing any today. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay. How do you let go of the just in case mindset when you have to have wardrobes for work and casual wear and events? Um, I find, yeah, for me, I, I, one thing I really had to get real with myself about was that just in case was like never going to happen. True. It was never coming. Um, because the other thing is too, is like, I would hold on to things. Um, I would hold on to a lot of occasion wear, for example, just in case, um, maybe I can wear this to a wedding or I will wear this to a wedding. And then by the time that just in case scenario came, I would still bypass that dress and then wear like, you know, what I wanted to wear. Um, so that was one thing I really had to get real with. And I think that's a good thing to reflect on too, is like, are you sure you're really going to wear this? If you don't wear it now, um, then you're probably not going to wear it by the time that event arrives, unless you sort of plan ahead and plan an outfit around that. Um, but the other thing to think about too is, uh, I find now I really like to, I don't like to have like separate looks for mm -hmm. different 
um, for different scenarios in my life. So I find I really like to, if I'm like going to a wedding, then I'm going to wear like a blazer and some nice suit pants and heels. And that's still my look. And then at work, my look is still a blazer, uh, a blazer, trousers and a t-shirt. Um, and then on casual, my look is still a blazer, a t-shirt, and then like a pair of jeans. So is there a way that you can sort of think about what your uniform is and then how do you modify it to sort of elevate it and tailor it to that occasion? Well said. I would also, if I may, say that unless you're wearing like a ball gown to, you know, I don't know, a baseball game, you can't really be overdressed. Like the thing, the idea that you have to have like a completely separate casual wardrobe, I think is like, especially once you get into your, you know, you're an adult. If you're in your, you know, later 20s, you're in your 30s, beyond, et cetera, like there's no reason that you can't be wearing like a nice pair of slacks and like a nice top and some decent loafers that you would wear to yeah. work at a lunch, you know? And I do yeah. think like a lot of people have an anxiety about never wanting to seem more like dressy or you know they'll often read that back to the effortless comment it's like i'm trying too hard kind of and it's like no i think quite the opposite like if you're looking just like now again you don't want to look you know like you're not wearing a tiara but like if you just look very put together and as if you could go from there to you know um back to work or to an evening out or something like i think most people are just like wow they look nice you know yeah yeah i think it's important to have overlap between your like for me, I'd want to pull from basically the same core wardrobe for work and play. And just because, listen, they can all be in there in athleisure doesn't mean you have to be. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> um, okay, how do you have a minimalist? Ooh, this is good. How do you keep a capsule slash minimalist wardrobe if your size fluctuates? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And I... Um, I used to think like, oh, if you're not wearing it, just declutter it. But um, a lot of a lot of people pointed out to me, like, you know, even as a woman, like your size can fluctuate within the month. Um, Ain't that you know. the truth? Yeah, and so um, I think that there's, I don't want to say should, but like, try not to have guilt around what you're keeping, especially if there's use to it. So if you know that, um, like, you your weight tends to fluctuate or um, anything like that it's it's not affordable or practical or even sustainable to like just declutter your whole your whole wardrobe for the body you have right now and then if you gain or lose weight then you have to buy a whole new one like i don't think most people can do that so i really like to utilize storage um and i wouldn't be guilty about doing that at a time i did have that because i was like oh i don't need this but um you have to allow your like your, your body will change, your style will change. So if there's pieces that you know that are kind of your go-tos for a different size uh, or feeling in your body, then I would say hold on to it. You don't have to be using it all the time. Also, there are A, a good amount of clothes that will will suit various sizes better than others. Like obviously things yeah. that have, you know, like more billowy, blousey, you know, have, you know, some elastic in it. Like there are definitely some core pieces you can have that can accommodate a few different, you know, uh, sizes. But also like one thing that I feel like it took me forever to learn because I was like raised in the very specific like school of femininity of like women should always like 
you know, accentuate their curves and their, you know, make themselves look thinner, basically, like whenever possible. Um, you know, like having, you know, always things form fitting and, and what have you. And like truly nothing will look or feel worse than wearing something too small. So I do feel like yes. erring toward the larger of the sizes you may be fluctuating in because having something that's like a little bit billowy or what have you, like, and you can always take things in, right? Like it's easy to get like a waist taken in at the, you know, the tailor or the dry cleaner, but like to wear, to like be putting yourself in a size that you are not is just like, it's a recipe for disaster, I feel. And you feel terrible all day. Yeah. Yeah, my my only rule is to get rid of clothes that make you feel like shit or like that make you feel like you need to be in a certain body um, in order to, to wear them or like, uh, like to fit to fit into them um, if it's like if that's the motivation um so on that note actually so speaking of like how women should dress like how do you navigate the comments about how you should dress as it pertains to your personal style i.e things like body type skin color etc um I don't know I I definitely think it's about what makes you feel good because if you try to adhere to a certain mold, even like I did, it's going to feel like you're not going to feel good. You're probably going to feel like you're in a costume um, and something's just going to be off and uncomfortable and you're going to be like the whole, the clothes are wearing you and not you wearing the clothes kind of thing. Um, so I try, I don't, I, I personally don't really pay attention to those kinds of rules. It's just more like what, what makes you feel good. My friend recently told me about this whole new like because it used to be like the pear, the apple or like whatever for body types. Yeah. Apparently there's a whole new thing where it's like I can't even remember any of the terms, but it'll be like boyishly romantic or like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the kibby body type. The kibby like body that. type. I was like, what is this? She was like, I'm like, damn it. I wish I could remember any of the term. Do you know any of the terms? Uh, there's like uh, romantic, uh, classic. um gamine or something like the that gamine, yeah there's yeah. a few yeah <laughs> yeah I haven't really I haven't really dove deep into that I think um I, I think a, a wonderful guest for future um who I think talks about this a little bit would be Alison Bornstein I think she's a New Yorker as well um but she has a lot of really great tips just about dressing more for balance um and just essentially like dressing what you like like she's really not into the whole like body type and uh that kind of rules around dressing. Yeah, I was like, I just can't retain a new layer of information in this regard. Yeah, um, and just like putting yourself into a box even more, like more rules and it's more stress and anxiety around like getting dressed. And really it's something that should be fun. Totally. Also, I say this with all love, but my friend who's telling me about this is like 5'11 and quite slim. I'm like, clothes were all designed for you. Like you're, yeah, yeah. you're what was in their heads when they made the clothes. So you can wear whatever you want. Um, Okay, uh, so this person is asking, do you essentially never buy anything trendy? Um, I wouldn't say that's true because, well, I feel like a lot of what my style is now is probably what is trendy. It's that like, you know, effortless, cool girl, oversized blazers, like all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I was pinning that in like 2016, so <laughs> um, yeah, but I... I I think, I think trends are fine to pepper in, to sprinkle in. The only thing I would say about trends is like, make sure it's something that you really want. Um, and 
have a plan to keep it in your wardrobe so that it is no longer a trend, but a classic piece in your style. Well said, man, that girl that was like an oversized black blazer with the sleeves rolled up and like a low (laughs) bun and like gold jewelry. And like, she had a chokehold on 2016. Oh, yeah. She had us all in her death grip. Okay, um, so the last question from the audience before we get into our rapid fire. Um, We basically just have a lot of people asking some version of like, I have a lot of items that I love but objectively no longer wear. How do I separate myself from the nostalgia? Yeah, that's nostalgia is tough. Um, And I used to say like a lot of minimalists will say, oh, just take a picture and like, and you'll remember that memory because, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to that anymore. I think that's a little, I don't know, it's a little too stoic for me. So if there are pieces that are nostalgic and that you never wear, I think it's okay to accept them as, you know, as a piece that's used for that. So like, um, I have a, a, a old coat of my grandmother's that I never wear. It's too big, um, but it's just sitting there and I like to, I just like to like think about it and look at it and like feel it every once in a while and it makes you think of her and that's um that's fair to have whereas like I would say even like last year I would have thought about getting rid of it because it I wasn't using it. So not everything has to have a utility. If you want to keep it for nostalgia, do it. Um but if you're overwhelmed by a lot of nostalgic pieces, then I would say try to um and I would do this slowly. So I wouldn't do this like um, hastily or like put pressure on yourself to do it all in one shot, but, um, slowly sift sift through your things and see what sparks like your favorite memory or what's, you know, what's most important out of all those pieces, because if everything is nostalgic, is it like, what's, how do you find what's most important to you? That's very accurate. I did not know about the picture thing. I feel like it's like low-key deranged behavior to just have a bunch of pictures of shirts in your phone that like what are you doing just like ah like like once every great while you just like look at that shirt on your phone and you're like wow that was a great shirt what that's the solution for like sentimental items so if it's like you know if a candle or like a figurine sparks you know sparks that memory but you don't want to keep it take a photo but I just hold on to it keep it it's okay (laughs) you know it's not clutter also it depends on the item but for certain clothing items like maybe investigate like could I make a little throw pillow out of this could I like yeah for sure could I like even take a swatch of the fabric and like frame it in a cute little frame because I love the pattern and color or you know maybe it was significant to me as a child like there are also other things you can do with fabrics yeah totally yeah that didn't come to mind I'm I'm so like not DIY and like talented in that way but for sure if yeah if you have a skill that you can like repurpose it and create something um that you're gonna love even more I think that's amazing that's a great tribute I have a girlfriend actually who had uh, a dress from her grandmother that was like one of those 60s dresses that had the sleeves that were um, lined in feathers and she was like I am never wearing this feather lined mini dress so she made um a lampshade with the feathers on the trim oh my god that's amazing right (laughs) And it has a nice story. Okay, so the time has come, everyone, um, to ask our rapid fire questions. So it's really whatever comes to mind. No right or wrong answers. You're free to skip. So uh, number one is what is the big financial secret of your industry? And I guess just out of pure humor, I'd love to hear it for a pharmacist. We uh, Pharmacists work 12-hour days, and that's probably why they make so much money. I don't know. It was it was honestly news to me that pharmacists make really good salaries. I didn't know that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making sure that people, you know, take medication safely. And oh, yeah, everyone, please be nice to your pharmacist because we're not just sticking labels on a box back there, okay? We're making sure that, like, you won't die when you take the medication. Yeah. <laughs> and correcting doctor mistakes, okay? It's a lot of... <laughs> It is a lot of pressure, I would imagine. Also, like, those doctors, as we all know, they can't write for shit, so... No, they can't. You guys are also, like, cryptographers back there trying to decipher that writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you invest in now versus what are you cheap about? Um, I invest in clothes, for sure. Um, definitely try to lean into that, like, less but better. So um, researching fabrics, fit, tailoring, that kind of thing, and just, like, thinking about... It how to keep it in my wardrobe for a long time because I'm trying not to force myself to declutter like that anymore. Um, what am I cheap about? My car um, and my apartment, I would say. Cheap rent. <laughs> Good for you, man. I was, yeah. Uh, okay, what has been your best investment and why? This is going to sound so like cheesy. It would be like in myself because I didn't believe in myself for a really long time and just like was trying to seek validation from all these external things namely being the clothes um and like going on the whole debt-free journey and and kind of figuring out my personal style all that stuff that becomes a very personal thing like you learn a lot about yourself you learn a confidence that you may not have known you had like when you start um paying attention to your money, where it goes, why it goes there. And then you and then at the same time, also seeing progress in all those things. It's like, okay, new confidence unlocked. This is pretty cool. I love that. And that's not a corny answer. That's legit. Um, okay. What has been your biggest money mistake and why? Um, thinking that, thinking that getting out of my student debt would be easy. Um, that definitely fueled a lot of the behavior, I think, later on. Well said. Um, what is your biggest current money insecurity? Um, I think that there just think I have that there will never be enough because um, so I mean I'm doing like full I'm doing YouTube um, content creation on top of this and I would love to turn it into something a little more full time but it also terrifies me because it's so inconsistent and I have like a consistent paycheck. Um, and I like quote unquote secure job now. So it's like scary for me to take that risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're making the real coin as a pharmacist, it's going to be a while before you could probably totally replace that. But I mean, you said you're working 12 hours days. So I bet if you broke it down into hourly, it, you know, you may be doing better on YouTube in certain cases. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what has been the single financial habit that has helped you the most? budgeting and tracking my spending. There you go. They work together. They work together. It's our most common answer because it's the right one. Uh, and yes. lastly, when did you first feel successful and what does that word mean to you? Um, I think when I, probably when I hit around like the $30,000 mark in my debt repayment, um, because I don't know. It just felt like something that I don't know why 30,000 was significant, but it just felt like I, you know, was getting closer to that zero dollar balance. It was um, it felt closer and closer. And I was like, holy, shit, I'm kind of here. I'm doing this. It's coming. I love that. And I love that it wasn't the zero 
That's like, I feel like yeah. probably an affirming answer for people who are more midway on the journey. Um, well, Christina, it has been an absolute pleasure. Where can people go to see more of what you do? You can find me on YouTube at Christina Mahas. I'm also on TikTok, Instagram, all the same handle. Thank you for having me. I'm so like, I'm so, this is like a dream. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it's been a wonderful conversation. And honestly, I am not even being facetious when I say this. Like I'm now itching when I get home tonight to go and like, like do an inventory of my wardrobe and purge some stuff. Oh my God, love it. And I'm not like a big, you know, wardrobe hoarder to begin with. So I'm like, but I'm like, I, I could, I could reduce it down. Yeah, for sure. Just no pressure, okay? If no you pressure. Keep it, keep it, it's okay. No <laughs> pressure. Um, well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will see you back here next week on an all new episode of The Financial Confessions. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.